our series called David in the Meantime, and I'm going to open up with Proverbs 6, verse 10, which says this, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little holding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come to you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And you're like, thank you for that, Pastor Mike. That is so encouraging. Happy Sabbath. That's right. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come to you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. I'm going to share a little bit more about that scripture a little later. You all trust me, and you know that I've got a place that I'm going to go with that. But let's pray before we continue, okay? Lord, we thank you for this day and the opportunity, Lord, that you've given us. We find it as our privilege to be here and to worship you and to pour our hearts out to you. Right now, our hearts are open, and we say, God, would you speak to every single one of us? We trust your word. We trust you and your ability to speak and lead and guide. We put our lives into your hands. And, Lord, I pray for the empowerment, the leading of your Holy Spirit, God, to share what's in your heart. Such a privilege that I pray that what's in your heart can be imparted. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this new series called David in the Meantime, and we've been talking about how in the Bible we get a lot of events in the Bible, but there's also this space in between chapters and verses where maybe a lot of time occurs. And we're calling that kind of the in the meantime place. It's that day-to-day living. We're talking about how it's in that day-to-day living and in that in the meantime place that a lot of the decisions that we make and who we are is formed so that when we come to crossroads in our lives and opportunities in our lives, we have been prepared, good or bad, for that moment, that defining moment. And we've been looking at David's life in particular. He's in the Old Testament. In the first week, we looked at David as a shepherd and how formative his childhood as a shepherd was in who he would become as a man. The second week, we looked at the fact that he was anointed to be the king of Israel, and yet he lived in this contradiction of the current king trying to kill him. And it was 15 years that he had to wait to actually become king, and he spent a lot of that on the run. But how that in the meantime place actually was very formative in him. And if you missed those and want to catch up on them, you can look at that on our podcast or listen to it on the podcast. This week, we're going to look into a season of David's life where he is king, and actually he has been king for quite some time now. And I want to read to you in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. Now, I've got to tell you, today, when I start reading this verse, you're going to go, oh, okay. And you know what? God is really going to bless our time because this scripture is for us. And one of the things that we believe is that everything in there is for us, amen, and that we can learn and grow from it. So this is 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. It says this. In the spring, would you say spring? In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. 
Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Golly day. If you've been following along in this story, and maybe David's story is new to you, we're talking about David in the first week slaying Goliath, and we're talking about David in his exploits and the things he's doing for God. And the next week we're talking about his endurance and patience and not taking matters into his own hands. And we just keep looking at David, our hero, and David, the guy we can be so proud of. And sometimes you look at these characters and you're like, man, I love this guy. And scripture would agree with you. It says that David was a man after God's own heart. Then you get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, you read five verses, and you just slam on the brakes. I mean, it feels like Bible whiplash. And you're looking at this going like, what just happened? And we read through the story, and I have to say, I appreciate so much that God would put the good, the bad, and the ugly in the word for us. Because, you know, this story didn't have to be in there. It could have been a cover-up, a biblical cover-up, you know. No one knows, you know. God is so ashamed. He doesn't even tell us, you know, about David, what he does. But the reality is it's in there to protect us. It's in there so that we can learn from it and we can grow from it. And this scripture is in there to help us from and to keep us from harming ourselves and harming our families. And I have to tell you, as I was preparing for this message, I finished it, and I text Elizabeth, and I was like, I'm so grieved. I'm like, I've just like, you know, been working on this message about David's failure, and it just brought like such sadness to me because of the gravity of it and the impact. And we're going to look at that today. And Elizabeth texts me back. She goes, yes, but God did restore him. And God did, you know, da-da-da-da. And she sent me this encouragement, and I thought, you know, it really is a story of both. And we're going to look at both. Like, we're not going to underplay or downplay the gravity of what David did, but we're also going to look at the amazing grace that happened. And we're also going to look at the consequence. You know, you wonder, like, how do you tell this story, like, to your children? Well, it wouldn't necessarily be an age-appropriate kind of story. But believe it or not, the maker of VeggieTales figured out a way to tell this story. You're like, right. How did they do that, and what words did they use? Well, if you are a VeggieTale connoisseur, there is one called David and the Ducky. Believe it or not, you watch this, and you're watching it with your kids, and you're like, I cannot believe the story I'm watching. So this David, in the VeggieTale, he walks up to the wardrobe and opens it up, and his cabinet is full of duckies, all of his wonderful duckies, which represents his wives. Okay. But David doesn't have enough. He spies out the window, and he sees one lone ducky, and he's like, hmm, I want that ducky. And you're watching this story with children going, they're telling the story of David and Bathsheba to children. Creative genius right there. Just unbelievable. So if you're ever, like, reading this, and it's, like, too heavy for you, watch the movie, and maybe it'll help you out. It's an interesting story because David's in the meantime place. It starts off differently here. It says, in the spring, in the times when kings go off to war, that David stayed in Jerusalem. 
now, in this time period, it was really customary that when winter would set in, everybody would be like, all right, we're all going home. We're not battling. We'll pick this back up in the spring. And so all the warriors had winter break. And they went home. And then when the weather turned, it's like, all right, let's get our swords and let's go back at this thing. And they would go back to war. It was just kind of a practical thing. That was David's in the meantime place. Believe it or not, it was winter break. And he has winter break, and he's chilling at winter break. And Scripture doesn't tell us what happened. It just tells us that in the time when kings go off to war, in the time when David was supposed to put his responsibility back on, Monday morning when it was time to go back to work, for some reason David decided to not go back to work. It just says that he stayed at home. And while he's at home, you wonder, like, so what happened? What happened in David that would make him stay at home? And obviously there's more going on than that. And I think all of us can identify with that feeling of, I don't feel like going to work today, right? But it was something more than that that was going on. Because, you see, when David made the decision to, you know, he looked at Bathsheba, and then he desired Bathsheba, and then he sent for Bathsheba, and then he slept with Bathsheba. Like, this wasn't just a, like, oh, I kind of fell into it. I mean, this was like, there was a little bit more to it than that, right? There was a progression that led him to this place. And when, in that moment, and in that time period, it's like David distanced himself from what he truly believed. Because David had the Ten Commandments. You know, Deuteronomy 5.21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Like, this isn't some, like, obscure place of sin. Like, this is an obvious sin. And what David did in that moment, and in that time period, is that he set aside what he believed for what he wanted. He set aside who he really was for what his sinful nature desired. And he slept with Bathsheba, and he committed adultery with her. And, you know, while we're dealing with this topic, and it's such a grave topic, if you will, I do want to take a moment to say, you know, there's physical adultery. There's also a concept of emotional adultery. And what I mean by that is when you have a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, where you share something that really should be shared with your spouse, where there's an emotional intimacy that develops that really should be with your spouse, not with just a friend. Because then it develops into something that's more intimate. Oftentimes, these kinds of emotional adultery kind of situations, they start off as somebody being a confidant. Well, they just needed someone to talk to. And, you know, they couldn't talk to their husband or their wife. And the reality is it's really betrayal. And what that person should do if they can't talk to their spouse is get a counselor, not somebody of the opposite sex. Just the principle of it. And I've got to tell you, you know, like the devil does not play fair in these moments. You know, when these things happen, there's a sinful nature issue that's going on inside of us. But then there's also the whole issue of timing and how the enemy would love to set us up. He's going to wait 
until the moment when you've had a really good fight or you're going through a tough time in the marriage or money is tight and things are stressed out and timing isn't working out and you're feeling an emotional distance and things like that. He's going to look for the opportunity when he can insert something into our lives where we're the most vulnerable. He's not playing fair. Now, we don't have to be afraid of him, but we need to be wise to him. Does that make sense? Don't walk around in fear, but recognize I need to keep myself in check. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. Now, we find out that in verse 5 that David, that Bathsheba is pregnant. And so David is at a crossroads because you're reading and you're like, okay, what's next? What will he do? I want to say this. As you're hearing this message, it's so important for us to know that there's always a way out. Every step of the way, there is a way out. And David's next move in this scripture could have been, I blew it. I have really messed this up. And he could have come clean. He could have repented. And I'm telling you, while the gravity of the story is great, it would have stopped there, right? And unfortunately, when we don't repent of sin, especially secret sin, when we don't confess it, when it doesn't come out, the reality is that concealed sin likes more concealed sin. It just loves company, right? And now he's in a place where he's not going to respond the right way. So he connives. He's like, okay, how do I fix this without the world knowing? Now, remember, David is king, which means his sin is great in the fact that he has slept with another man's wife. The other thing that's really sad is, you know, David is, he should have protected Bathsheba, not exploited her. Because he's in a position of power. And so this isn't just like some guy sleeping with some other guy's wife, which is terrible on its own. This is the king who's supposed to protect who's doing this, right? So he goes into what all of us know in our sinful nature, when we don't want things to be found out, he goes into the cover-up. You've heard the phrase, the cover-up is often worse than the sin itself. Well, it definitely measured up to it. So David, what he does is he comes up, he concocts a plan. He's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get her husband, Uriah, and I'm going to give him a little leave from the battlefield. Brings him home, Uriah, you're a good man. Why don't you go home and hang out with your wife? He's thinking, you know, they're going to, you know, consummate and they're going to hang out. And now he's going to think it's his daughter or son, excuse me, that this is your child, right? And so he's thinking this is going to work, right? Well, Uriah is such an honorable man. He comes off the battlefield and he's like, no, I'm not going home with my wife because my brothers are out there on the battlefield and I'm going to sleep at the city gate. And he doesn't go home and sleep with his wife. The irony of that. David is supposed to be out on the battlefield and yet he's sleeping with another man's wife. He won't sleep with his own wife because his brothers are out on the battlefield. Really ironic. So David is, he's digging the hole deeper and he decides, well, I still, he's still going to cover it up. So he writes a letter to the commander of the, of the army and he, he has it sealed. He puts it in Uriah's hand. Uriah goes out to the battlefield and delivers it to the commander and he says, here's a orders from David. And 
the commander looks at it, and the orders say, take Uriah, put him out at the front of the battle, and when the battle gets heated, withdraw everybody, leave Uriah there. He signs Uriah's death warrant. And so now David has gone from adultery to adultery, deception, and murder. I know what you all are thinking. It's like, didn't he just, like, slay Goliath? Didn't he, like, kill the lion and the bear? And wasn't he, like, this amazing king? And didn't he write the 23rd Psalm? It is so surreal to read this story and realize it's the same person. You know, I say God always provides a way out. Always does. God sends the prophet Nathan, and Nathan tells a story to David, and talks about a man who had a lot of sheep and a man who just had one sheep, and a guy has a visitor, and instead of taking one of his allotted sheep, he goes and takes his neighbor's only one sheep, and David gets enraged. He's like, who is this man? And Nathan goes, you're that guy. And he's caught. And in that moment, 2 Samuel 12, 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And in that moment, things turn around. The moment that he confesses his sin. There's still going to be some consequence, but everything begins to change. What's interesting about David is David is not a young man. He has done amazing things for God, and he comes into the season where he lays his responsibilities down, and he lays his beliefs down, and selfishly for what he wants in the moment. You know, we have this phrase in our day and age where we say the midlife crisis. You all have heard the midlife crisis, right? And it typically talks about somebody who they get into a season in the middle of their life where they're just kind of tired of the same old, same old. They're tired of the in the meantime. All of a sudden, they're not satisfied. All of a sudden, they don't feel fulfilled enough, and so now they're going to start doing things that are outside of their own belief system just to satisfy this need that they feel like they have. And this is kind of like what's happening for David. And I want to tell you this morning, you know, this is one of those kinds of messages in Scripture that can save your life. This isn't like one of those messages where you go, man, I feel so inspired. Well, no, not quite. But this is in there to save our lives because of the deception and what can happen. And I read that Scripture in Proverbs, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come to you like a thief and scarcity like an army man, not an old man. Poverty doesn't come like an old man. It comes like an armed man. In that Scripture, a little sleep, a little slumber, its first application has to do with just general work, right? But if you were to apply it to our spiritual lives, we can come to places in our lives where there's a dip. And just the who we are and what we do and how we operate, we're just not feeling it. We just kind of push it away. We're just not there. And poverty can happen spiritually as well. And we need to be watchful of that because these kinds of things don't happen in people's lives overnight. It's a series of 
little things and opportunities that begin to build. And so that's also comforting because it's not like tomorrow, if you're in a good place, it's like all of a sudden you're going to throw your faith away or something. But recognizing that there are these culmination of things that can happen that lead us to a place where we're not the best version of ourselves and we make decisions that we wouldn't normally make. You know, in our life, we have normal responsibilities and we have kind of our regular belief system, right? Those responsibilities and those beliefs, they actually set boundaries around them. And those boundaries have like natural consequences. Like, you know, you have natural boundaries of like where you will go and where you won't go and what you will do and what you won't do. And, you know, in Christianity, some people, they think that Christianity is a list of rules that like it's all about the rules. When actually when you look in Galatians chapter 5 and it talks about the fruits of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the sinful nature, they're like really obvious. It's like love, peace, joy, patience. It's like against these, there's no law. It's like just be that, right? And then it goes through like the stuff you're not supposed to do, sexual immorality, you know, jealousy, fits of rage, things like that. It's not rocket science. It's not like, oh, really? Like, well, yeah. And those natural character things that get set for you as a believer and as a follower where I say, I'm not going to sleep with someone who's not my spouse. Like that's just, that's because God intended for marriage to be this covenant, a safe place for that level of intimacy. Like that's the why. It's not to keep you from, it's to keep you safe in. And when you understand the heart of God, you get those boundaries. You're like, that's the why. And those natural boundaries of what you do and don't do, they keep you safe. I don't lie. There's a lot of fruit in my life for just not being a liar. Amen? I mean, there's just a lot of good things that happen just by the kind of regular kind of things of, you know, I don't beat people up. I'm not really made for it anyhow. It's not exactly my wheelhouse. But there's a natural fruit and consequence to the boundaries in our life. There's also a natural fruit and consequence for just the regular responsibilities we carry of taking care of our families and going to work and those kind of things. Those kind of things keep you safe. If I were to say to you today, you know, where will you be at 10 a.m. on Tuesday? I bet 90% of you know where you're going to be on Tuesday at 10 a.m. because you just have a rhythm of life and responsibilities and where you're going to be. You might have another time in a week where, like, that's my free time. I get to choose with that. But a lot of your time and energy, you have these natural boundaries. And those things keep you safe. The indicator for David's life was in the time when kings go off to war, in the time when your regular responsibilities resume, in the time when you are to be just who you are and do the normal thing you do, all of a sudden you decided not to, but it was deeper than that. It wasn't I'm going to take a personal day. It was I'm going to set aside my responsibilities. And what I appreciate is that God gives us responsibility and these regular character things to keep us safe. And I'm thankful for it. And like I mentioned before, God always provides a way out. He always provides a way out. And, you know, if you find yourself 
in a relationship that's unhealthy, you just need to confess and bring it out into the light and get out of it. Because that's the moment where things begin to turn around. Don't try to handle it on your own. Don't try to hide it. David, he turned it around. He just did it a lot later than most of us would. And the moment he turned it around, things began to turn. There were some natural consequences that were really real. And that's what, this is not like a perfect portrait. This is like a mixture of things. Some of the consequences were the first, this baby that Bathsheba had died. David, when he repented, the first thing he did is he went and he interceded and prayed for this child. The child passed away. They told David that the child passed away. It says that he got up, he washed himself, and he went and worshiped God. He did everything he could to save that child. And then when he couldn't save that child, he went and worshiped God and said, I am getting myself right with God and everything. And I'm going to, that's the path I'm on. The other consequence was, it says that the sword never departed David's family. Remember, he committed murder. The sword never departed his family. You read the rest of David's life. We were joking around last week about the difference between a Hallmark movie and a Lifetime movie. This is Lifetime movie kind of stuff. It is disturbing. He has one son who rapes another one of his daughters. They were half brother, half sister. He's got another son who's going to try to rip the kingdom from him. I mean, it is just a mess. And yet, in the middle of all this mess, God restored David. And it's one of the things, while we look at the gravity of what is happening and the consequence and the disappointment we have in David, we watch God restore David. And I don't mean like the kind of restoration where it's like now you're at arm's length. And it's like, well, yeah, but I need a new number. It's not that kind of restoration. It's the kind of restoration that is true and real. You know, he killed, had Uriah killed. Well, the worst thing for Bathsheba was now to be a widow. So he ended up marrying Bathsheba. And Bathsheba then has another son. That son is Solomon. That son, Solomon, becomes the king. Do the math on that. A lot of us who are justice-oriented, we'd be like, oh, no, not in that relationship. No, 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 you know, all things new. God restored David. Solomon becomes king. Get this. David, Bathsheba, Solomon are in the line of who would create Jesus. Most of us would be like, uh-uh, no way. We're like, yeah, we'll forgive you, but. Isn't that amazing? That level of forgiveness. And God wrote it in scripture. He didn't change his mind. But David was a man after his own heart. I think one of the things that God did love about David in the midst of all of his failures is that David would repent. And y'all, repentance, which means to change your mind or change your heart about a matter. Repentance is a gift from God. Because it means that we can turn around. We can have our sin removed. We can be forgiven. What's beautiful about God's forgiveness is that he doesn't just forgive us positionally like, okay, I'll let you in the club again. It's not like that. He forgives us and he cleanses us. And he removes the weight from us. And he goes on the inside. We can't even calculate this kind of grace and mercy that God has. And of course with David, David wears his emotions on his sleeves. And we have all these psalms that he wrote. One of the most beautiful, touching psalms that he wrote 
is Psalm 51, which is his repentance psalm for what he had done with Bathsheba. I want to read to you a few of these verses. It says in Psalm 51, verse 1, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Now, do you all hear that, right? He is asking God to blot out his sin and treat it like it never happened. Can I tell you today, and I mean this very gingerly, for some of us, we identify with different parts of the story. We've been in David's shoes. We've been in Bathsheba's shoes. We've been in Uriah's shoes. Well, if you've been in Uriah's shoes, you're not here. Anyhow, you've been in the, it was my family and it impacted me. I want you to know there is a level of forgiveness that God extends that can blot out transgressions. And there is a level of forgiveness that you can give that doesn't hold or remember an offense. When I say hold or remember, I mean it doesn't have any power or authority over you. You've truly released it to God. Because for some, we've stood on the other side of it and we felt the consequence and seen the consequence and it's so real and it's so ugly and it's so hurtful. God, somehow, has so much love and so much grace that yeah, while there's real consequence, there's real forgiveness. Real forgiveness. That's not just possible from him, it's possible from us. Verse 2, wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 10, I love this part. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I think when David wrote this, I think in his heart, I think there was something that said, look at what I forsook for what I wanted. He's like, return to me the joy of my salvation. He's like, renew a steadfast spirit in me. I want a pure heart again, O God. It was like he realized all the things that he sacrificed for what he wanted. And on a personal level, what an amazing prayer and what a beautiful thing to pray. And you know, God does that. He can restore pureness of heart. I want you to know, we're not entering into heaven with our baggage. We're not entering into heaven with a rap sheet. We're not entering into heaven with the stories of what we've done and what's been held over us or those kinds of things. And not only are we not going into heaven with that, it says that we're made a new creation. And he makes all things new and that he gives life and life more abundantly. But in this story, we have this amazing paradox of this gravity of the sin and failure of David. And yet on the other side, we see how merciful God is. And in the middle of that story is this consequence that you cannot get around. Isn't it so wise of the Lord to put that in there? Because you know how human nature will be. We'll be like, well, I'll just kind of fool around and then I'll just get forgiven. 
Let me know how that works out for you. Because God knows our heart, right? The consequence was so grave. I'll tell you, this, this scripture, this story, it's there to save our lives. It's there to protect us. It's there to make us cherish what we have in Jesus and not let go of it lightly and not set aside, set it aside lightly. It's there to help us cherish our families and our marriages. And, and I want to tell you this morning, when the enemy strikes in these kinds of circumstances, he will strike when there's challenge in the marriage and when there's weakness there because he's like, that's what I want to break. Because marriage is the basis of family and family is the building block of all of society. And so the enemy knows if I can go in and I can hurt marriage, I can hurt everything. But I want to tell you something. No matter where you are in your marriage, the grace of God is going to meet you in that place of your marriage. So many times when people struggle in their marriage, they think the grace of God is somewhere else because of the pain and the frustration they're feeling in the marriage. And people just want relief. They're like, anything is better than, I just want relief. And I want to tell you, the grace, when I say the grace, I mean the unmerited favor, the love, the provision of God is in your marriage and God healing it. And he can do it. He can do it. And it's when we lose faith in that, that the temptation of a lot of other things happens. And our selfishness and our own needs can enter in. And to be wise about that and to be wise that that's when the enemy wants to undermine you and undermine our families is in those moments of weakness. And I want you to know there's a way out before it ever starts. There's provision before it ever begins. Because God has got what you need. Amen. Would you stand with me today?